It's uh, great to be together today, and uh, I also want to welcome our guests who are here with us. Thanks for joining us uh, for this service and for our chicken barbecue today. Um, I'm one of the pastors. You've gotten to meet a number of us. I'm the senior pastor. I don't expect you to remember all of our names, although my name is also Jared. So if you meet one of us and call us Jared, you've got a decent chance of, um, of getting it right. Um, we turn our attention now to the Word of God. Each Sunday we have a sermon from the Bible. And for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to look together at 1 Peter chapter 1. We as a church are doing a sermon series currently through this book of 1 Peter. In our preaching and teaching, we communicate the authoritative word of God. I have no freedom to share my own ideas and opinions. Uh, what we hear is not human ideas, but the word of truth, a message from God himself in his word where he has made himself known. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, I believe these words will be on the screen. Our text is verses 22 through 25, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. This is God's holy and authoritative word. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Our sermon title is The Eternal Gospel. May God bless the preaching of his word. There was a recent New York Times article that talked about the challenges that tennis players have uh, at the end of their careers. The headline was Serena Williams and her fellow tennis greats are limping toward the exits. And the whole article made me super sad, so I thought I'd share it with you to brighten your day. Uh, it was after Serena had announced her withdrawal from the U.S. Open. The article says, Serena Williams became the third aging tennis giant in 10 days to withdraw from the U.S. Open, following Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal's revelations about their own struggles. It was also the latest reminder of how messy and cruel the ends of even the most storied tennis careers usually are. 
especially for those who stay even slightly past their sell-by dates. It says Nadal, 35, may have some good miles left in his bones despite their occasional fragility, but Federer turned 40 this month and Williams turns 40 in September. I read that. I'm a year older than Federer and Serena, and as I read about their decline, as I read about their failing, aging bodies, I feel like I'm going to die any minute now. Like, well, all right, it was a good life, good run while we had it. The great human dilemma that we all face in life is the reality that our lives are perishable. We are all grasping for permanence. We are all seeking that which will endure. We are longing for a hope that will not disappoint or fade away. But we never seem to find it in this world. Where can we turn when there is loss? The kind of disappointment that we even heard a word about earlier in this service. What is our hope when things are broken and faded? This passage in 1 Peter sets up a contrast between that which is fleeting and that which is lasting. It is a contrast between that which is transitory and that which is permanent. And the goal of this text ultimately is not the depressing reminder that all is fading away. The point of this text is the joyful news, the good news, verse 25 says, of the eternal gospel and life imperishable. The Christian gospel addresses all of our greatest needs, and this is the good news that we preach today. God's heart for us today, his desire for us, is to protect us from trusting in things that will not last. It's in verse 24 that Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 40, saying, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. In what sense? Well, the grass withers, it says, and the flower falls. There is a glory to the flowers. There is a beauty that belongs to the grass of the fields. In springtime and into summer, creation is bursting and blooming with life. But that doesn't last long. After a few weeks, the flowers fall, the flowers fade, the flowers die. And God says that is a picture of your life and mine. There's no denying that there is a glory to humanity. Uh, humans are capable of remarkable accomplishments, incredible strength and coordination, great beauty, brilliant intellect, skill with words, extraordinary artistry and creativity. Roger Federer, by the way, checks almost every one of those boxes that I just gave. The eternal God made us, and each of us have a peculiar glory as those who are his handiwork. There is a glory to humanity, and yet even the most glorious and beautiful of flowers die. We like to pretend that we will live forever. We imagine that Nations and empires will never fall. The question that we need to ask today is when will we realize that all flesh is grass and when will we start living in light of 
that important reality. Nothing in life is secure. Nothing in life is changeless. Your life is no more permanent than the grass of the field. We are not going to be around that long. The grass withers. The flower falls. I have a pastor friend who had cancer at a young age. And during that time, God pressed upon his heart and mind the brevity of life. Uh, the truth of James 4:14. 4, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That is life, your life and my life. And it is only, friends, when we are honest about the frailty of all flesh that we will see our need for God and our need for a gospel that remains forever. And it is my great prayer today that each person here would believe and live in the good of this eternal gospel. God wants us to know today, and this is my summary of these four verses that we're looking at, that only the eternal gospel can create imperishable life and Christian love. Only the eternal gospel can create imperishable life and Christian love. This means that you can have a future that is better than you ever dreamed, imperishable life, and you can be the kind of person you were made to be, marked by authentic love and contributing to the flourishing of those around you, those God has placed in your life. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This, there is a word that is not perishable. There is a Word that will never fade away and will never fail. This is the word of God. And then Peter provides his own commentary on the Isaiah passage in verse 25 when he says, and this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. There is good news that remains forever. And this is why we as a church are fundamentally a people of good news. Bad news surrounds us in this world. We do not deny the reality of great evil and injustice and wrong. We know that the world is messed up because of sin. And yet the people of God build their lives around a good news that is far more important than the bad news and indeed outshines all of the bad news in this world. And so this is what we're about as a church. We are a good news church. You come this Sunday and any Sunday and we have more good news for you from the word of God. The ESV Gospel Transformation Bible talking about this glorious eternal gospel says this, the gospel of grace is not a passing fad, not trendy, not temporary. It is the abiding hope of the world. Even though the grass withers and the flower falls, the gospel never will. The gospel will never wither. The gospel will never fall. The gospel that Christians believe has no expiration date. 
So build your life around this gospel. What exactly is the good news that endures forever? It is not a political system or a social theory or a self-help message, all of which will not last forever and is not what we preach. Peter has just told us the good news a few verses earlier, and we read it, that God, in his great mercy, has made a way of salvation for sinners. Verse 19, by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. No spot, no blemish. Oh, our lives full of blemishes, full of spots. But in this sinless Savior, he lived a perfect life. He knew no sin. And Christ died in the place of sinners, shedding his precious blood, bearing the wrath of God that we deserve so that we might be accepted by God forever. And then verse 21 says that through Jesus, we are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Salvation. This is the most important thing you can understand about the message of Christianity. Salvation comes as a free gift. You can't earn it. It comes freely for all who repent of their sin and rely on Christ alone for their salvation. When verse 22 says that we've purified our souls by our obedience to the truth, that truth is the truth of the gospel and the obedience that is in view there is not doing good works, it is not loving others. That obedience to the truth is submitting to and believing in the claims of the gospel and relying on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now, Peter is addressing uh, churches. He's addressing Christians, readers who are followers of Christ. But the Bible is clear that not everyone has obeyed the truth of the gospel. And friends, it's important to understand that there is no greater sin than indifference to Christ than indifference to the one who shed his precious blood and a rejection of his love. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, that's a category, perhaps describing even some who are here. Those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. God's desire is not that you would perish, but that you would come to a knowledge of the truth and have eternal life. He loves you, and this is why he gave his son for you. Only the eternal gospel can create imperishable life and Christian love. First, this eternal gospel creates imperishable life. In verse 23, it says that the Christian is someone who has been born again, not of perishable seed, 
but of imperishable. Now, some people, when they hear, you know, born again, you think of a certain kind of person, right? Someone who is extra passionate, that super religious Christian, probably with a particular brand of politics. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about being born again. In the passage we read earlier in the service from John chapter 3, you remember there Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And the thing that's so extraordinary about that passage, Nicodemus is a very moral man. He is a religious leader. His life is full of Bible reading and prayer and fasting. But what is it that Jesus says to him? Well, keep up the the good works. Try harder to be a better person. Here are some hot tips for moral living. It's none of that. Jesus says all of your religion and all of your good works and prayers have not moved you any closer to God. If you want a relationship with God, if you want eternal life, you need to be completely remade. You need to be reborn. Jesus says that unless he is born again, he will not enter the kingdom of God. The spiritually blind person, and there are many of them in the world today, the spiritually blind person thinks that he or she is good enough to get to heaven or that he or she is too messed up to ever be a Christian. But the gospel gloriously puts everyone on the same level. We all need a savior. We all need to be born again. Tim Keller says the message is this, no matter how good and well-ordered your life is, you must be born again. Yet, no matter how chaotic your life has been or how often and profoundly you have failed, you can be born again. However accomplished you are, however moral, however good a person, you need to be born again. However great a failure your life seems to be, you can be born again. There is reason for hope. What exactly does it mean to be born again? It's still summertime, uh, which somehow means it's only a month or two until stores start playing Christmas songs. I do not understand this at all, and I'm sorry to remind you of that, but if you've ever paid attention to the lyrics, it is amazing because you can go into the store and hear such insanely rich biblical theology. Jesus was born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth. What is that talking about? The second birth, being born again. Human procreation involves perishable seed, verse 23 says, in that we are all aging and will one day die. When a new life is created, that life is always temporary and perishable. But God has made clear that there is a second birth, a spiritual birth, in which God gives us a nature that never dies. It is the divine implantation of new life. The imperishable word of God creates the imperishable life of God in us. So the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that we have received a nature which can never die till the God that gave it should himself expire and deity die out. It is an imperishable nature. 
when we are born again, our lives are radically changed. What does that change look like? Well, it, we're given a new spiritual sense. We're given a sense of the importance of who God is. We're given new understanding into who we are as those created by him, new insights into the world that God has made. We're given a new love, desire, hunger for the word of God. We're given a new love for Christ. We delight in him. Though we have not seen him, we love him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. And the new birth also brings a new identity as children of God who belong to his family. When we are born again, we go from belonging to the kingdom of wrath to the kingdom of his beloved son and his family. We are not just born, we are born into the family of God. In John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13, it says, but to all who did receive him, that is receive Christ, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of natural descent, so there's a birth, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, not, not a birth that happened by any human decision, but of God. Those who are receive, those who receive Christ have become children of God. We are spiritually born into the family of God and we have God himself as our father. And so Juan Sanchez says, every human family is flawed and failing born of perishable seed. But God's family, born through his word, which promises and proclaims his gospel, is eternal. Now maybe some of you know what it is to experience a flawed and failing family life. Friends, you can belong to a new family with a perfect father who will never fail. And you can experience eternal life with him. The eternal gospel creates imperishable life and this eternal gospel creates Christian love. Love. Love is in our passage presented as the goal of our conversion, our coming to Christ, the whole goal of our being born again. This love is described as a sincere brotherly love. We're called to an earnest love from a pure heart. This is different than cultural niceness uh, this is not pretending to like people. This is not saying, hey, good to see you, when you would so much rather be alone and not around any people. This is genuine love. We've been born into God's family, and the distinguishing mark of the Christian community is earnest love, zealous, wholehearted affection for our brothers and sisters. And we need this command because, well, because we all fall short of it, and because we will be tempted to lack gentleness and patience and to quarrel among ourselves. Churches that are marked by infighting, constant criticism, self-righteous judgmentalism, those kinds of churches have failed to be shaped by the gospel we profess. If you have ever been a part of a church community that has not had humble, gentle, gracious love as its distinguishing mark. 
you need to know that that is not God's design for the church. He calls his people to love one another earnestly. Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, verse 34, he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So the love that Jesus has for sinners is the reference point, is the model for the love that we are to have for one another. The greatest love the world has ever known is the love Christ showed for us in dying on the cross in our place. He loved us when we didn't love him back. He loved us when we ran from him. He loved us when we were not deserving of that love and had only earned the opposite of it. And yet he poured his love upon us and he pursued us. And then having loved us, he calls us to love one another. You may feel like it is impossible to love others well. You try, but your love never lasts. I certainly am aware of my own failures in the realm of love as a father, as a husband, as a friend. But the good news is that there is hope for us all who desire to grow in being a more loving person. God doesn't intend for us to love others through our own strength. He knew that would never work. He intended for you to love others through his strength as one who has been born again and through his love as one who has received the gospel. We can only ever be the kind of loving person that we desire to be, that we were created to be as we give our lives to God in Christ. And if you do that, friends, you will have new life. You will know a love like no other. It is a love of God that will change you from the inside out. When you receive that love, it empowers you to love earnestly and sincerely, which is exactly the love that Christ has shown to us. The brevity and the frailty of life is very real, and yet it doesn't lead to despair. God wants us to know what the eternal power of his word does in our lives. It causes our dead hearts to be made alive and it puts the unending love of Christ into our hearts so that we too might love one another. Only the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ can create imperishable life and Christian love. Only this gospel. Friends, believe in this gospel. Trust in this gospel alone. Build your life around this glorious, eternal gospel. The band is now going to perform a song called Made Alive. Let's listen to this together. And as we listen, let's consider the amazing grace and relentless love of our God.